Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish, sponsored by our friends at Paycheck. We've got a great show today. We'll be talking about well-being and the results from a fairly recent study done by our friends at the conference board on well-being. I think we'll also talk a little bit about what's going on in the world right now, too, how things are changing so dynamically and how that might impact some return to work plans uh, as well. But before we get into the show, Trish, I have a question for you. Simple one. What is the last photo that you took? Oh my goodness. Okay. You did tell me, you you never tell me the questions, but you did tell me to have my phone ready. Okay. So let me, okay. Um, this is an audio show, but I will, I'll, I'll share it because you can see it at the moment. So I took a picture of my son's new football receiver gloves, football gloves. Okay. Yeah. Football gloves. So I don't know if you can see them. So yeah, it's, it's almost football season. Um, obviously we're, we're hoping that that still gets to occur as things are changing pretty rapidly, um, day to day now with the Delta variant, but yes. So football receiver gloves are really cool. Um, he's a senior this year and we've always gone pretty conservative the last few years. And so this year he's like, we're going all out his cleats, his gloves, everything. It's like hot pink, fluorescent yellow. They're like under armor. They're called drip, drip gloves. Very traditional football colors. Nice. Okay. No, it's, we're going out with a bang. Like this is going to be a big year for these, these kids. So I hope it happens. Okay. What's the last photo you have? I, I asked the question for a reason. So I was traveling for business recently, my first business trip in since prior to the pandemic. And I was st- stayed at a couple of different hotels during the trip and I took a yeah. photo. I'll hold it up too. It's a photo from the window of one of the hotels I stayed in, which is what we see everywhere these days. It's a help wanted sign in the, in the window of this hotel. There are $300 signing on, sign on bonuses as well on offer housekeepers, public area attendants, cooks, hostess, dishwashers, on and on and on. Basically every job in the hotel, practically, they were looking for help. And I'll bet that's uh, pretty common uh, in all kinds of establishments all over the country right now. So uh, we've been talking about that a little bit as well on the show. So yeah, cool stuff. It is. Yeah. On the work break, we've talked about that quite a bit with just the, the job reports that are coming out and unemployment rates and so forth. And since our last, actually, since our last work break, I was looking as I drove through town, I, I really wanted to pay attention. I counted seven different businesses just in a quick little, like one mile yeah. drive I that were that. help wanted of, of various positions. So yeah, the work is out there. I think, again, it re- goes back to a lot of people are saying that their unemployment benefits are still exceeding what they can make working. So that's yeah. uh, be interesting to see. I know a lot of the uh, federal unemployment um, benefits start running out in September. I've heard mm-hmm. people say who are on it. And also now some of the extensions go to early October, but beyond that, we'll see if these, if these roles start getting filled or if there are more, more uh, provisions to help them. So. Yeah. We'll be following that one for sure. So, all right, let's get on to the show, Trish. Our guest is waiting yeah. very patiently. Uh, returning guest, I think a three-time guest by my recollection, maybe four, I don't know. But uh, our guest today is Rebecca Ray, PhD. She is the executive vice president, human capital at the conference board. She is responsible for member engagement and the quality of all human capital offerings, including research, peer learning networks, digital media conferences and events, Formerly an award-winning practitioner for several Fortune 50 companies, Rebecca contributes to Forbes and is often featured in business trade media. She loves to travel and hopes to return to that soon and is a student <laughs> of American history, as am I. I love history. She also writes for the theater. That's really cool, too. Rebecca, welcome back to the show. How are you today? 
I'm I'm terrific, and Steve, thank you. Um, and that's very gracious of you to, to actually read that. Most of that's true, and and just thank you for Most having of me it's back. True. I love it. <laughs> I'm excited to be back with you and Trish. Yeah, it's great to have you. I love that we love work, the workplace, all things work related. And so there's no one really better that's in our sort of regular rotation of guests to talk about some of these issues than you, Rebecca, from the conference board and all the great work you do and all the research you guys do as well, right? It's not just here's what we think. You, you, got, you go out there, you survey your members, you, you really do a ton of great research about what's going on in the world of work. Well, you're very kind. You know, we do want to try to provide insights gleaned from the, the members we speak with, the employees that we survey, the responses that we have and, and all the interactions that we have. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we are making our best judgment as to what we think all the data means. And so uh, I'm happy to share a little bit of that with you. We've been surveying people around the return to work slash feelings about pandemic and a variety of things since September of last year. And so it's it's been interesting to see every couple of months, the changes and we all see the headlines changing and shifting, you know, every day there's new headlines and new CDC guidance or new organizational positions on returning to the workplace and under what conditions and who needs to be vaccinated or tested. So it's, it's, um, it's a very rapidly shifting landscape as we all know. And so how do we thoughtfully as a profession think about keeping workers safe, uh, thinking about how work gets done by whom and where and then how do we make sure that all of that combined uh, actually helps us deliver on the business imperative? Yeah, Rebecca, that's great. I think uh, you guys, like I said, do a wonderful job uh, staying on top of this and sharing your research uh, far and wide. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about well-being. That's been a subject uh, we've covered on the show a few times. And I, I think we, it was kind of easy to say, you know what, pretty soon this will all be over and maybe we can stop worrying about well-being so much. But I don't think that's the case at all, right? In fact, as we record this in late July, uh, things in many parts of the country, certainly in other parts of the world too, are not really getting better. <laughs> they might be actually shifting to the worst. Maybe we'll start there, Rebecca, is maybe talk a little bit about some of the things the conference board found um, when, when researching what has happened throughout this uh, working remote through the pandemic and its impact on well-being, uh, employee well-being. Sure, I, I, I'd have to agree with you. The headlines and recent developments as we sit here in late July don't, don't portend uh, an end to this anytime soon, or at least that, look, when all this began to unfold, everyone was impacted differently to greater or lesser degrees, depending on your social situation, your workplace, your industry, whether or not your family was impacted by COVID or by social unrest or a variety of things. And so I think it's fair to say that employees have had a roller coaster ride on so many levels for a long time. But I think we went into it thinking it was going to be of shorter duration. And as this dragged on and on, I think several things happened. Certainly there was um, enough to show that even before the pandemic hit, uh, that productivity among remote workers was as high, if not higher, than those who were in a more traditional office-based setting. And, and I want to preface this by saying, you know, many people didn't have the option to work remotely, right? Their, their job just didn't you know, work that way, or, you know, they, they adapted the manufacturing plant floor and they kept right on going because it was essential work or whatever. But for those who have had the opportunity to uh, work remotely, at least in, in some form, as this thing dragged on, I think a lot of people really shifted their mindsets. I think, first of all, most employees, I think, are, are 
half decent workers and they're, they care. And, and if there's an emergency, we're all gonna step up and make sure that the good ship keeps floating, right? And we all swing for the fence. And I think most employees really did step up and could be counted on to do that. But the longer it lasts, the more of an emotional toll it takes against a backdrop of what's going on in their personal lives, right? And at the end of what we thought was the end into that first phase, I don't think it's the end, but a lot of people as, as the reality of returning to a physical workplace started to be real, and many employers have, you know, have the magic you know, day after Labor Day as sort of the, the return to normalcy, and I'm being very facetious here. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of people started to think, I'm not sure I want to sign up for that pleasure cruise. You've got people, and in fact, the, the last one we did, we looked at generational responses to this, and I thought surely that millennials would be, you know, just hankering to get back. You know, they're earlier in career, their life, you know, the arc of their life, you know, it's more social. We all know that for this generation in particular, and the one that's coming after them, the interweaving of, of social and professional lives is, is tighter than perhaps it might've been for, for some other generations. So we thought surely they'll be the ones saying, stand back, let me in. And that's not at all what we found. We found that boomers were more comfortable going back into the office than were millennials. I think a couple of things. I think boomers sort of have that uh, longer tenure of work in a physical location. It's just maybe a little bit more human nature. Also, I think if they figure, if boomers are thinking, well, I'll do some kind of a hybrid thing, they're usually at a higher uh, salaried level in their careers. And they think, I can do this for a little longer. Why should we take a pay cut and step off now? Let's ride this out. I mean, some of them are buying RVs and living you know, in Yellowstone and phoning it in. <laughs> But the millennials really didn't want to go back. I think they're, they, you know, they're, they're less wild about going back. And I think it's because they're looking at the arc of their career. They've got maybe another 20, 30 year working years left ahead. And many of them are saying, I don't want it to look like this. I like the flexibility that I have. I like that I can do things for my health, that I can do things for my family or with my family, or that I can do a variety of things and blend my life together in a different way because I save the time from commuting. I have the flexibility. I think they are really just examining what they want their lives to look like. And because it is, you know, uh, a buyer's market, um, these employees have options and they're exercising them. Yeah. You know, I think those are all great points. And I'm glad that you, you mentioned the sort of the difference that is surprising among generations. I wonder too, if you could talk a little bit about one of the things I think we're seeing more and more of is, you know, when you, when you think about the people where they're on television, for example, they're giving us a little more insight into what that stress and the impact is on, you know, being burned out maybe in their job and, and on well-being. You know, a recent example is, you know, we have the Olympics going on. Simone Biles, I don't know if, if either of yes. you saw, mm -hmm. you know, just announced she's actually going to stop competing because, you know, just this overall stress from this past year. And again, being remote in terms of training and things like that. Um, and we've seen other athletes have similar reactions. Um, I know that one of the statistics I read from your study was that, you know, 60% of workers were reporting concerns about stress and burnout. Can you maybe delve into that a little more specifically too, with what are you seeing? What are you hearing from other kinds of workers um, other than just kind of what we see on TV? Because for a lot of us, that's our only insight right now into what stress might actually be doing to us as a, you know, as a people, as a, a an entire population. What kind of results yeah. are you seeing there? 
Sure. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, productivity is one thing, but the question is how sustainable is it against a backdrop of higher levels of stress? Mm -hmm. And you're exactly right. We found 60%, 59% uh, of U.S. workers are really concerned about their mental health. Now we asked them what their top concerns are. We gave them options like mental health, physical health, social wellness, professional well-being, financial uh, well-being, and spiritual well-being. And uh, by far, it was the mental and psychological well-being, you know, stress and burnout. How sustainable is this? And the short answer is, I'm not sure it is. There are many of us who believe there's a coming tsunami of mental health issues. And um, so, so that's, I think, very sobering because I'm not sure that a lot of companies have thought about how to address that. I think they have been uh, or have tried to be very careful about physical well-being. So with safety and social distancing and cleanliness and vaccines, I mean, that, that seems to be sort of where the conversation has been. But it has not necessarily been about social, excuse me, about uh, mental health well-being. Um, and even when you looked at usage of, let's say, online support programs, uh, it was used more often by millennials than other generations, which isn't terribly surprising. Um, but overall usage was down. And so at the same time that people are saying, I'm concerned about this, they are not using some of the tools. So organizations, I think, need to be, need to be more um, diligent in their outreach as to what employees would find helpful. Uh, you know, social well-being is a big piece of this as well. And I think companies are trying, you know, we, we all had the, you know, the, the virtual happy hours, you know, that we put mm -hmm. in and we, a lot of people try to do those kinds of things to kind of keep people somewhat less focused on, you know, the rising COVID rates at the time. Uh, but I'm not sure that companies have really thought about how you support employees through this. I think some of the things that cause the stress and anxiety are things that are within a company's control. So directly trying to work on, on anxiety is not the way to go. But I have seen some very innovative things where companies are looking at um, therapeutics. Um, they're looking at virtual wellness programs or virtual uh, meditation programs, trying to help employees sort of deal with their stress and anxiety. Um, but I think also there's some things that a company can specifically do, like being very, very flexible. Uh, inflexible in terms of how work gets done and where it gets done, and also the timing. I don't think there's anything magical about the day after Labor Day. And I, I think as we see, unfortunately, this rise in the Delta variant or, or other factors here, you know, many companies are going to start to revisit that particular uh, time frame. I think. But even when they do come back, whatever that date is, to allow people to have time to sort of re-enter and to make it okay to do that. You know, people have spent, let's say the last year and a half figuring out how to put together their personal and professional lives. And so they're gonna need some time to kind of sort this out. I think most employees are trying to figure out how that's gonna go. But companies should be flexible. They should be thinking about uh, ways that they can uh, build an inclusive or continue to build on an inclusive culture and not have a, a two-class employee system, right? where those who are, you know, in the office and visible, you know, they're going to get the training programs or they're going to be seen and maybe given more developmental opportunities. You, companies are going to have to figure out how do you do this for all remote workers? It should always have been that way. But I think you have many, many more remote workers now or in some hybrid combination somewhere going to have to figure out how do you, how do you bring them all together? And in my opinion, 
re-engage them in the mission, re-engage them and uh, re-recruit them, if you will. You, it's almost like you are starting again in, in many ways. And company, and we could say, well, it's not really the company's responsibility to, to fix uh, the, the shortcomings of society. And, you know, we really shouldn't be worried about, you know, trying to fix childcare. Okay. I, I can understand that argument, but right, wrong, or indifferent, those are the people, and that's the top talent you're trying to attract. So whether or not you think it's your purview as a company or your responsibility, you have a better chance at attracting and retaining top talent if you can figure this out. How do you help women in particular balance this? We can say all we want shouldn't happen, but we know that disproportionately childcare and elder care falls to women. And so you don't want to lose a generation's uh, advancement of women in the leadership pipeline and not you know, think about ways to address that. That's, that would be a sin as if you lost any other you know, food group that's underrepresented. So we've got to think about this in ways that say, look, it's going to look different. It's so easy in HR to say, well, this is the policy. We all follow, we march along. We're not, that's not where we are. I think we have to have standards and we have to have parameters, but we have to have flexible options. And that's tough to figure out. And let's be candid. We're all, we, nobody stopped working, you know? I mean, we're all flying this plane while we're trying to redesign it. And that's tough. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And thank you for those tips. I know Steve's probably got a ton of, of things he's going to chime in here on because I know when you were talking about like a different class of almost employees being created, we're already starting to see that. I can, and can attest in the school system, um, you know, between those who are remote, not remote, masked, not masked, right? It is vaccinated, not vaccinated. I'm not sure we're going to dive into that, but that's a real issue that's coming up in certain workplaces I've seen as well. So you're right. I think it's, it's interesting too. It's, it's not that senior leadership or the HR teams have the answers either. We don't have the answers either. So we're all trying to figure out not just for our organizations, but for ourselves. Um, Steve, I know one thing um, you and I have done really well at, thank goodness I work with Steve, actually, you know, if I think about being in corporate, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I don't know that I would have felt comfortable telling someone, you know, I'm feeling like mentally I'm not in a good place today, right? I just can't be as productive today as I typically am or something. And I feel like when you're talking about the therapeutics and the meditation and some of the other things that, you know, offices and and workplaces can provide, I'm wondering too, do they, do they need to almost encourage people that it's okay to say, I need a mental health day today, right? And build that in as another option too, because you know, now I feel like I'm, I'm fully capable of doing that, right. In my work Mm -hmm. situation. Now I could tell Steve, you know, today I just can't do a full day or I just cannot focus like I normally do. And can you help me shoulder that load? And he would, I guess my question first, Steve, for you is, you know, what commentary do you have kind of around that? And are you seeing that with other organizations? And then also for you, Rebecca, same kind of the same question I'm going to pose to both of you is, what, what do you think about that kind of aspect of it? Do you fe- do people feel comfortable saying? Yeah, that's a, I think that's a great point. Okay. I, I think traditionally, right, people have not, right? It, it's been, we know this, right, for uh, many of the things yeah. uh, we've done over the last year and a half, uh, digging into mental health and worker well-being, that uh, the stigma, not just in workplaces, but in generalized society, right? It was kind of real, yeah. right, to, to talk openly about 
stress and burnout and mental health challenges. And I, I think it's changing, but it's only slowly changing if, if it is, if it is moving, I think it is getting better. Um, it's in a smaller organization, maybe it's, it's easier to kind of have those conversations. You kind of maybe know each other a little bit better. I found it interesting. And I'd love to hear Rebecca's comments as well, that, you know, part of the conference board data that we looked at prior to today's show talked about how pe- people, despite all the, indi- the additional stress, anxiety, burnout, all the difficulty inside and outside of work, people took less time off and their, and their work-life balance actually got worse, right? And or, or most people reported that. And, and definitely, look, I know there are a lot of places were shut down for a very long time. It was hard to go on vacation when you really, there was nowhere to go, but I, I get that. But uh, uh, it's quite remarkable how these things kind of piled on each other and now are, are kind of coming to light and the fact that we've got a lot of folks who are struggling and organizations trying to figure out how to navigate that. And as Rebecca talked about, try to coax people and in some, in some instances coax them back into office environments and commuting, et cetera, when they're not really so sure that they want to do that. So um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll throw it to Rebecca to maybe her observations, either for the companies that she works with or just her, uh, the research that you've done or are, are, are folks more willing to share and, and talk about these problems and organizations more willing to have, allow those conversations to happen? You know, I do think there's been a lot of progress, but there's no question that, you know, in this issue, as well as everything else, it's always tone at the top, right? So when you have leaders who are vulnerable and authentic and they can talk about their own challenges, I, I recognize that that is, a, that is not a, an easy place to get to, but many leaders who feel that they can help others by sharing are doing so. And I think that's very, very, uh, very healthy. Uh, what we did find is that um, about 62% of people feel comfortable now uh, speaking about their mental health concerns or their well-being challenges. Let's use a, perhaps a, a broader, um, a, a broader brush. And I think that's because 78% of them really believe that their supervisor cared about their well-being. Mm-hmm. So if you know, and not everyone who believes that their manager or the supervisor cares about them is is then going to speak about it. But I'm sure that opens the way for them. And you know, if if you have people who can speak about these things uh, openly and feel that they, it's a trusting place, that's terrific. But that doesn't happen when a crisis hits, right? If you're a decent leader and you've built rapport and you have built a team where you think people actually believe that they can trust you as a leader and that you have their back and you care about them. That's the environment that you build over time. And then when something happens, whether it's this collective you know, process that we've all been through or it's someone's own personal challenges, that's in place and that's a great foundation to, to build on. So I took great comfort actually in, in knowing that, that more than three quarters thought that their supervisor cared about them. And you know, let's be candid, we've all been working on manager training and development for years and years and years and trying to explain to them that, you know, coaching is part of your job, not an add-on, you know, and trying to help managers be empathetic and trying to help managers understand that this softer stuff makes everything else work. And so I I think there's been some, some movement here. Um, You know, you, you talked a little bit about uh, some, some of the challenges with this. I think the media attention, and, and Trish, you mentioned uh, Simone Biles and others, and you know, even from Prince Harry and some of the work that he's doing now is right. opening up for his own challenges. I mean, you see this coming from a variety of angles. 
And I'm hopeful that it does open up some space for people to speak about their challenges. I, I don't think uh, that that's a bad thing. I, I think it's, it's a positive. Trisha, I'm going to take a break here. Uh, we're talking with Rebecca Ray from the conference board about well-being and mental health, sort of the challenges with returning folks back to workplaces in a dynamic, fast-changing uh, environment. But we do need to thank our friends at Paychex, Trish, uh, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. If you're looking for ways to help your business thrive in 2021 and beyond, be sure to view the great sessions from the first ever Paychex Business Conference designed to give business leaders insights, resources, solutions, and actionable takeaways to help them build a better workplace, a better team, and a better business. The two-day virtual event was full of great speakers like uh, New York Times bestseller Cy Wakeman, uh, the star of ABC Shark Tank, Damon John, and plenty more. So you can visit paychecks.com slash thrive to see them all on replay. So I highly recommend checking them out. And thanks to our friends at Paychecks. Yeah, that was a great event. So definitely worth the worth the replay. And um, I might even watch some of them again that I've already watched. So good, good information there. So well, good. Um, so you know, we we're we're here with Rebecca Ray, and we're talking about wellness, well being, stress, burnout. Um, you know what what kind of the results are showing. Um, I'd like to shift gears, Rebecca, before before we end this show, and talk a little bit about. You know, you've given a few tips on what businesses can start thinking about in terms of supporting um, worker well-being. Can you maybe just kind of give us a, a summary? So if I'm an HR professional, if I'm a CEO, you know, CIO, whatever, what can I be doing to take back to my organization in a very practical way, especially in light of kind of all of these recent changes that we're now seeing state to state? What are your top recommendations for them? So let me uh, let me. Uh, kind of unpack them a little bit one by one. So, you know, one of the things we found in a, the well-being work uh, that we did is we asked um, heads of, of HR around their priorities around well-being. What kinds of things did they think they were going to offer their employees that were most important? And then we also asked another 1,100 or so workers. And for the most part, there was coalescence around emotional and psychological well-being in its broadest sense as number one. That was great. And physical well-being came in second with both groups. HR practitioners said financial well-being was their third. And workers said social well-being and belonging was their third. So there's a, there's a disconnect there. So employees are saying that what they value are celebrations, retreats, virtual coffee hours, ways to get together and share more about culture. Um, and, and those, I think, need to be baked into what's being offered to support the more holistic approach to well-being uh, for, uh, for employees. And I, I, would, I would encourage folks to think about making a better case for why employees need to return to a physical workplace. And, and again, set aside, some have never left, you know, but, but for those who were, you know, they have been working remotely uh, for some time and this, you know, this uh, urge to come back now to a physical workplace, make the case. Talk about the fact that these are the kinds of um, strategy sessions we're going to have or developmental opportunities or uh, alignment and mission or customer appreciation things or product demo days or, you know, what's the rationale for schlepping mom back into whatever the physical workplace is. And I think there's a variety of reasons that, uh, that workers could, could listen to. And then they could say, okay, if there's this kind of flexibility, 
I can understand why this, you know, all in town hall meeting with the new fill in the blank that's being, you know, delivered. I can understand why that's important. I can understand why it's important to have all the customer facing people in on one day because they're going to talk about a brand new fill in the blank, but make a case. And I, I think what we consistently saw in all these surveys since last September, as we've done them about every, every two months, is uh, I, I think there's still a lot of concern. One of the early findings we found actually several times is that people believe that they will follow the protocols. They're not so sure their coworkers will. Mm. And, and I don't think it's meant in an evil way, but it's just sort of, I know I wash my hands 67 times a day. I know I maintain social distance. I know I'm wearing a, a you know, mask all the time. I'm careful, you know, so you can do that, but you can't control the behaviors of others. And so companies could be more thoughtful about the safeguards in the workplace, the, uh, the protocols that are there and the steps they intend to take when those protocols are not followed. That might help a lot, especially for people who maybe are vaccine hesitant, they're immunocompromised, they have their concern now. I mean, we saw the headlines about the Delta variant, even vaccine, vaccinated people can carry the same viral load according to the CDC as those who are unvaccinated. You know, these are, these are all the things, all these employees are hearing these things. And so companies need to, I think, be very forward uh, thinking about how they will negate, not negate, that's not, that's not right, how they will uh, counter what is a barrage of, of media headlines, few of which are happy stories, and how are they going to help employees sort through all that and feel comfortable? And that's where we are is, is a comfort level. And especially, you know, I think companies did a lot of good work trying to get people thinking about coming back. Many were flexible, many offered all kinds of, of different options. And we've just now had, I think, a reset uh, with the latest CDC guidance on, you know, what needs to happen because of the, the rise, the, really the significant rise of the Delta variant. Yeah, that's really thrown a, a monkey wrench, if you will, into a lot of plans that had been set out by organizations and HR leaders, say, in the first quarter of this year, as we get on to the second quarter, because it, it does feel like, we're recording this in late July, it does feel like a couple of months ago, right? Things were really mm -hmm. on track for the, the great mm -hmm. reopening and all of this, right? And, right. and the country was going to open up and everyone was going to go on vacation. Many people are still going on vacation <laughs> in the summertime, but yeah. And, and now it, it's tempting. Uh, I guess the last thing I'll say, uh, my last thought is it's tempting to just want to be, we're all exhausted, right? Personally, exactly right. professionally leaders are HR leaders are, they've been dealing, everybody's been dealing with so much. We're all, we just want it to be over and, and, we just can't really sort of take that approach right now. We're really going to be mindful, as you say, Rebecca, really mindful of what's happening, really, really uh, transparent, I think, with the organizations. And I think the last thing I'll say is, you know, just trying to do like a one size fits all, you know, everybody comes back or everybody comes back on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's, that's, that's the policy, if you will. That's tempting to do because it's quite frankly, it's easy. It's just easy to do that. It's easy to, to say that and it's easy to enforce it quite honestly, but mm -hmm. it, it's probably for most organizations, not the best approach. And much like I <laughs> talked at the beginning of the show that the hotel I went to uh, on my last trip, right. was desperately trying to hire people at every position across the hotel and offering signing, signing bonuses to try to do, to do so. I think that that difficult that, that that challenge of sort of finding attracting and retaining talent is across the board and if 
uh, as you said, Rebecca, some people are just not maybe ready right now or concerned or, or, or it's just they don't see the value maybe and getting drawn back to an office setting, say on a certain schedule, they'll, they'll perhaps look for other opportunities. And I think that what we saw in the labor statistics data in April and May, I'm sure you saw this Rebecca, huge quit numbers, record high quit numbers in the United States. And I think that's going to continue uh, in the next several months. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, we started talking about um, the impact and mental health. And I think a lot of us were very encouraged that there might be some return to some semblance of normalcy. And I think we, we've taken a, a, a step back now. And I, I want to be, I want to just offer one last thought. And that is, you know, it's not the company's responsibility, but a company could go a long way to reestablish hope because you don't want people to lose hope that this is the bleak future we are now in and there is no escape hatch. Yeah. And, and if leaders can articulate a, uh, we're in this together and we're gonna turn a corner and the brighter days are ahead, you don't want people to give up hope. Yeah. Yeah, good, good parting thoughts there. Um, I think too, Rebecca, it's also about a lot of what we've seen over this last 18 months, um, people are thinking very linear right? It's, it's a starting point. It's an end point. People like you're referencing a lot of people using that after Labor Day date. It's not linear. And thank you for sharing the, both the research to back up why it's not. It's definitely going to be a very cyclical process. And you might, again, we might come out of it, go back into it, go come out of it, go back into it in various degrees. So I think that if uh, anyone listening wants to look at your research, um, we will be posting that in the show notes as well. So they can go and check that out more in depth. But I think as you plan, if you're in charge of that in your organization, you definitely need to look at some of these facts and statistics to sort of help have that conversation and really think about your strategy for the next 12 to 18 months. Um, and again, stop thinking of it in such a linear fashion. It's not, it's like running a race. It's not like we started a race and now it's over. It's, yeah. it's potentially going to keep on, right? So yeah, no, um, I, th I think that's exactly right. You know, I came up through Wall Street and, you know, the market's an emotional thing. So, mm -hmm. so is the workplace to a certain extent. Right. And I think companies would be well served to kind of think about what's the emotional state of the employees? How do we prepare them for and through this phase, which could be repeated a little bit like lather, rinse, repeat with shampoo. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Rebecca. The best, I think the best line of the day, I think you made Rebecca was there's nothing magic about the day after Labor Day. And if there's one thing right. I think folks should remember, take away from the show, at least, at least take away that, right? There, there's nothing magical is going to happen just because it's Tuesday, September, whatever, whatever day that is. So that's a great point. Um, Rebecca, it's great to see you again. Uh, it was a pleasure. We checked in kind of earlier in the pandemic, I know. Mm -hmm. We're we talking about maybe, maybe in the fall or maybe Q4, we should check in again and kind of get an update and see what's happening and, and see where we're at. Uh, we love talking human capital work and workplaces with, uh, with you, Rebecca. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you both. Great. Stay so safe. We'll, uh, well. we'll put... We'll put some links in the show notes to some of the conference board research. You can find Rebecca on Twitter at Rebecca Lee Ray, L-E-A-R-A-Y. We'll put that in there as well, as well as at conference board, right? Stay connected with them to just stay in the loop of all the stuff, uh, all the news research and other support uh, uh, services that they offer to their, their members. So, okay, good stuff, Trish. Uh, late July, 
we're, we're, we're grinding towards the end of the summer. Is it summer, uh, summer Friday still happening for us? I hope, but, uh, cause tomorrow's Friday, but, uh, good to see you. We need to report back at the end of summer. I'll tell you what, this summer has been the busiest ever. And I'm, I'm wondering if it's because we didn't travel for that last year. Plus could be, I don't know, but it's, it feels crazy busy. So yes, I don't know. I keep intending to take a full Friday off. It has not happened yet. I don't anticipate that that's happening this week, but we'll see. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening to the show. Thanks, Rebecca Ray from the conference board. Thanks to our friends at Paychecks, of course. Remember to subscribe to the HR Happy Hour wherever you get podcasts and check out all the show archives at hrhappyhour.net. My name is Steve Bose for Trish McFarlane for Rebecca Ray. We will see you next time. And bye for now.